Thank you for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. We are currently in our series, State of the Union. And we're excited that you came across this message and are tuning in. We just wanna make you aware of a couple things before we get to the sermon. First, we'd love to connect with you. You can follow us on our social networks by searching at Hope Church LV. Also, be sure to check out our website, hopechurchonline.com. There, you can find out more information about who we are and where we're headed as a church. Once again, thanks for checking out our sermon here at Hope Church. Please let us know if there's any questions you have or any way we can come alongside you and your family. Enjoy the message. I am so thankful for this church. Amen. What a blessing. Amen. I was just sitting over there as we were worshiping, Teddy, just thinking about, man, if everybody out there just knew what Jesus was doing among us in here, man, which means we need to go tell them, amen? We need to be telling people about what God's doing. If you're visiting with us, we are studying through a little bit of a unique series in the life of our church. Normally, we are studying straight through books of the Bible, just studying through God's Word the way He gave it to us in books, verse by verse, line by line. A few months ago, I felt a real burden with our pastors here at Hope to engage us in a series where we would try to establish a biblical worldview on some of the major issues that are facing us as a nation right now. This, this election cycle has surfaced some ugly stuff about us as a nation. Regardless of what side of the political aisle you fall on, this season, this cycle has just surfaced some stuff that's just not pretty. It's not pretty. So we set out to do a series that we're simply calling State of the Union. When culture and the gospel intersect. And we've been looking at different topics and trying to bring a biblical worldview to these topics. We've looked at things like elections and voting and how you vote. We've looked at things like immigration and refugees, and we've looked at many different topics already. We started in week one, though, by laying a foundational reality. I want to give you that one again, this foundational truth where we started. Let's read it together. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. Now, we're going to read it again, and we're going to read it this time like we mean it, all right? You ready? Here we go. One, two, three. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. If you believe that, say amen. Listen, if we don't get that, we miss everything. Everything else we've talked about has been built upon this biblical principle that who we are is who we are in Christ. Above all else, I'm not an American. Above all else, I'm not a Republican or Democrat or Independent. Above all else, I'm not black, white, Asian, or Hispanic. Above all else, who I am is who I am in Christ. And if we don't understand that foundational reality of identity, who we are in Christ... We're not going to ever begin to establish a biblical worldview on some of these other issues. So I want to dig a little deeper into that statement by by making this statement. Spiritual growth. Spiritual growth. It's a term that often is misunderstood. Everybody wants to grow spiritually, but often we confuse 
spiritual growth with just spiritual activity. The more I'm at the church, the more church kind of stuff I do, then I'm spiritually growing or maturing. Let me give you a definition of spiritual growth. Spiritual growth is who I am in Christ becoming Christ in me. That's spiritual growth. To say it another way, spiritual growth is Christ-likeness. This means that as, as who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, what's on his heart begins to be on my heart. It's the very reason I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada today. About 17 years ago, in my personal devotional life, God showed me some stuff. My God time. I was just alone with him in the morning, living in Memphis, Tennessee. God showed me some stuff about who he was that wasn't who I was. And as I was being conformed to the image of Jesus, what was on his heart got on my heart. And I began to be passionate about cities like Las Vegas that that needed new churches to be planted and multiplied and reproduced, preaching the gospel. What is that? It's growing in Christ-likeness. God called me here through this principle of spiritual growth. So as we grow in Christ, what's on his heart gets on our heart. And with that in mind this weekend, I want to ask a very important question that has to do with the heart of God. Here's the question. How important is racial reconciliation? How important is racial reconciliation? Racial reconciliation right now is all in the news. There's a lot of news broadcasts, a lot of programs about it. Racial reconciliation is a major story in this election cycle. Both sides of the aisle are trying to use race and racial tension to prove their point and justify their positions. Racial reconciliation is a major issue in society, but as followers of Jesus, how important is racial reconciliation to us? Well, let me give you a biblical filter that I think will help us to put all of this under one umbrella. Here it is. Look at it on the screen. The entire story of the Bible is a story of reconciliation. Read that out loud with me. The entire story of the Bible is a story of reconciliation. How important is reconciliation? How important is racial reconciliation? Listen, the whole story of the Bible is about reconciliation. Let me show it to you in the Bible. Colossians chapter 1, verse 19. Listen to what the Bible says. For it was the Father's good pleasure. That means this pleased God. What? For all the fullness to dwell in him. What's he talking about? The fullness of deity that Jesus is 100% God. And he said, here's what else pleased the Father. Through him, Jesus, to, say the next word out loud. Reconcile. Now say the next two words out loud. It pleased the Father to reconcile all things to himself. You know what the word all things means? All things. Wow. Having made peace through the blood of his cross, through him, I say, were the things on earth or things in heaven. Let me give you a definition of the word reconcile. Here's what the word reconcile means. The reestablishment of an interrupted or broken relationship. That's what reconciliation is. It's the reestablishment of a damaged or a interrupted or a broken relationship. You know what the whole story of the Bible is? 
the whole story of the Bible is a story of reconciliation. God created you and God created me to know him. God created human beings. The reason he made us and put us on this planet was to know him, to love him, and to live in fellowship with him. Here's what that means. You ever wondered, what's the meaning of life? What's the purpose of life? Listen, you will never answer that question apart from God. God made you and God made me. God placed human beings to live on this earth, but to live on this earth in fellowship with him, loving him and knowing him. But here's what happened. In Genesis chapter 3, sin entered into humanity. Sin came on the scene and sin broke. It devastated our relationship with God. Sin interrupted our relationship with God. The theologians call it spiritual death. When sin entered the picture, what that means is we died to God. As human beings, we now have no capacity to know God, live in fellowship with God, have a relationship with God. Sin forever had a devastating effect on our ability to have a relationship with God. But God loved us anyway. In spite of our sin, in spite of our rebellion against him, God in eternity established that he would send his only begotten son Jesus as God in the flesh. Jesus took on humanity, lived a sinless life. He offered that sinless life on a cross. He died. Why did he die? He died for your sin and he died for my sin. He took the full blow of the wrath of God against him. He experienced death, but he didn't stay dead. He rose again from the dead as a testimony that God had accepted his sacrifice for our sins so that you and I, get this, could be reconciled to God. That is the gospel. The whole story of the Bible is that we've been reconciled with God. But don't miss this. Sin did not just have a damaging effect on our relationship with God. Sin had a damaging effect on our relationships with one another. You see, God made us to know Him, to love Him, to live in fellowship with Him on earth. But He didn't make us to live in isolation from others. God made us to know Him, love Him, and live in fellowship with Him, and to live in fellowship with others out of the overflow of our relationship to Him. But sin entered the picture, and it not only damaged our relationship with God, it damaged our relationship with each other as human beings. One area that reveals the brokenness of human relationships is racial prejudice. You know what racial prejudice is? It is the effect of sin on humanity as we relate to one another. It's the effect of sin. It's a damaging, devastating effect of sin. That's why this is not just an American problem. You can travel with me. We could get on a plane and we could go to any country. We could go to any continent. We could get in any culture. And you go to any country on any continent and get in any culture, and let me tell you what you're going to find. You are going to find elements of racial or class prejudice. Why? Because it is an effect of the fall of humanity. It is the outworking of sin and damaging our relationships with one another. Let me show it to you in the Bible. James chapter 2, verse 9. 
Look what this says. But if you show, say the next word. Now, this is a very important word. This is a loaded word in the Greek New Testament. I've told you before that some of the words in the Greek New Testament are what's called compound words. It means they take two, two words and they put them together to make one new word. Well, that's what this is. But it's even more unique than that because this word is not found used outside of Christian writing. Meaning that in the Greco-Roman period, this is a word that was only understood in the context of those who've come to know Christ. It was not even recognized outside of Christianity. Not even a word they use. Here are the two words that make up the word partiality. One of them is the word of the Greek language that means face. The other is a word that means to receive or accept. The word partiality means I receive or accept you based on your face. Literally. Based on what I see, what I observe on the outside, I look at you, I judge who you are based on what you look like on the outside, and I decide how I'm going to relate to you, how I'm going to treat you based on what I've judged. That's partial. Look what he says. If you do that, you are committing, say it out loud. No pun intended. That's as black and white as you can get, right? <laughs> you cannot state it any more plainly than that. If you and I are functioning in relationships with racial prejudice, we are acting in sin. Here's what that means. Racism is not a skin problem. Racism is a sin problem. And it has had devastating effects on humanity. But the story of the Bible is that God through his son Jesus not only desires to reconcile us to right relationships with himself, but God also desires to reconcile our relationships with one another. So the issue of racial reconciliation is on the heart of God. And as who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me, guess what? It's going to be on my heart. If reconciling with other cultures and races is not something that's important to me, here's what this means. It is an issue of Christ-likeness in your life. It's not an issue of personal preference or political persuasion or social. This is an issue of am I being conformed to the image of Christ? And if I am, this will matter to me. It'll matter to me. Here's the point. Our mission as the church includes the mission of racial reconciliation. Let me say that again. Our mission as the church includes... Now, the mission of the church is much bigger than just racial reconciliation. But our mission includes racial reconciliation. Let me show you two objects. This first object that I want to show you today is something that you know. This is a what? It's a thermometer, right? Now, most of us in Las Vegas have thermometers. Most of us don't like to look at them in July and August to be reminded of how hot it is. But here's what a thermometer does. It simply reflects the temperature of the environment. That's all it does. All it does is it tells you how hot or how cold it is. That's it. It simply reflects the temperature of the environment. Second object. This is a thermostat. Now, a thermostat is very different than a thermometer. 
Now, most thermostats have thermometers as a part of what they do, but a thermostat does more than simply reflect the temperature of the environment. A thermostat regulates the temperature of the environment by doing two things. Number one, it sets the desired temperature, and then number two, it actively works to maintain that set temperature. And if the thermostat is not doing that, the thermostat is broken. If I wake up in the middle of the night covered in sweat and I go to my thermostat and look at it and it, listen, I got an issue at that point with my thermostat, right? Because it has failed in its mission. Its mission is not just to tell me that it's 85 degrees. Its mission is to say, hey, we're not going to stay at 85 degrees. We're going to get back down to where it's cool and comfortable in this room. And my thermostat's job is to not stop working until it gets to that desired temperature, right? Thermostat, thermometer. For too long, the church in America has simply been a thermometer when it comes to the issue of racial reconciliation. When the call of God is for the church to be a thermostat. You see, the call of God on the church is not simply to reflect the temperature of the culture when it comes to racial reconciliation. The call of God on the church is to set the temperature of our culture as it pertains to racial reconciliation and then actively work as people of God to maintain that temperature. That's the call of God on the church. We're not to be a thermometer. God's called us to be a thermostat in culture. April the 12th, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. was arrested in my home state of Alabama in a city named Birmingham. He was arrested for what they called parading without a permit. What it was was discrimination because he was simply having a peaceful demonstration against deeply discriminatory practices. They arrested him, put him in prison. While he was in prison, he wrote a letter that has become famously known as Letter from Birmingham Jail. I want you to listen to this excerpt from this letter written in 1963. There was a time when the church was very powerful. In the time when the early Christians rejoiced at being deemed worthy to suffer for what they believed. In those days, the church was not merely a thermometer that recorded the ideas and principles of popular opinion. It was a thermostat that transformed the mores of society. But the judgment of God is upon the church today as never before. If today's church does not recapture the sacrificial spirit of the early church, it will lose its authenticity, forfeit the loyalty of millions, and be dismissed as an irrelevant social club with no meaning for the 20th century. Listen. As much as I wholeheartedly agree with Dr. King, and I believe it was a relevant statement in 1963, it is equally as relevant and prophetic in 2016. It is time for the church to rise up and be the church. It is time for the church to stop being passive and simply reflecting the racial tension of society. It is time for the church to actively set the temperature for racial reconciliation in America through the gospel and do passionately labor to maintain that temperature. We as the church have been given this mention. I want, you to, I want you to see a statistic that is deeply troubling to me. I want to put it up here on the screen. Duke University did this study of American religion. Look what it says. 86% of churches in the United States are segregated by race and class. 
We take this for granted here at Hope. You're sitting in a church today. We have 45 languages that we know of spoken in our fellowship. You look around you on a Sunday morning, man, we look like the nation. We look like the kingdom of heaven, right? It's black, white, Asian, Hispanic, Polynesian, everything in the middle. We look like what heaven's going to look like. It's like somebody dumped out a bag of Skittles on Sunday morning. Amen? But nine out of ten churches in America don't look like this. Nine out of ten. That means you leave here and go visit ten churches over the next ten weekends. Let me tell you what you're going to probably find. Nine out of ten of them are going to be segregated by either race or class. Meaning that most of the churches that you go to in the United States of America, everybody looks the same and everybody comes from the same economic strata of society. You see, the natural tendency of our flesh is to gravitate towards those that are like us. But the implications of the gospel is reconciliation that he brings together those who wouldn't be together apart from Christ. Here's what's sad about this statement. Churches today in America are 10 times more segregated than the neighborhoods they're in. Churches today are 20 times more segregated than the nearby public school. You know what that means? We're not even a good thermometer. The church has allowed itself to sit on the sidelines and not even reflect the temperature of society, much less begin to actively engage and get involved in setting and changing the temperature of society. Tony Evans said it this way. I love this quote. The reason we haven't solved the race problem in America after hundreds of years is that people apart from God are trying to create unity, while people under God who already have unity are not living out the unity we possess. Our failure to find cultural unity as a nation is directly related to the church's failure to preserve the spiritual unity we've already been given. The reason we're sitting here today in the United States of America in 2016, the reason there is blood in the streets, the reason there is tension and hatred and violence is because the church of Jesus Christ has failed in its mission of seeing reconciliation take place through the power of of the gospel. And this morning as I share this with you, I'm not sharing this with you today because Dr. King encouraged us to do this. I'm sharing this with you today because the King of Kings has called us to this. I want you to read it with me this morning. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. We're going to begin reading in verse 14. It says, For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves. Glory to God. But for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Therefore, from now on we recognize no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him this way no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. Now all these things are from God, who reconciled us to Himself 
through Christ, get this, and gave us, we're going to talk about that in a minute, gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Namely, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though, listen to this, God were making an appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. I want to share with you two key truths out of these verses, and we're going to wrap up this morning. Here's the first one. Racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Read that out loud with me. Racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. You see, here's what we try to do with this. We try to talk about this like it's a political issue. Or we want to push this to the side as being a, an, an educational issue. Or we want to simply make this a societal issue. Or a cultural issue. But here's what I want you to see in these verses this morning. Racial reconciliation, although it does apply in all of those other areas, at its core, racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. Look back at verse 16. Look what Paul said. The first word in verse 16 is the word, therefore. Now, if you've been at hope for any length of time at all, you've heard me say this 5, 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 100 times, right? Anytime you see the word, therefore, in the New Testament, you need to look and see what it's what? You got it. You need to look and see what it's there for. Because the word therefore is a significant word in the New Testament. It's a word of transition. Here's what it means. Based on what I've just said, now I want to draw this conclusion. Look at verse 16. He said, therefore. So what did he just say? Well, let's read it. Verse 14. For the love of Christ controls us, having concluded this, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. What is that? It's the gospel. Right? Here's the gospel in two verses. Jesus died for us so that now in him we've been forgiven and now he lives through us. That is the power of the gospels. Paul says, based on the gospel, therefore, look at verse 16. From now on, we recognize no one according to the flesh. Now, Sometimes in the New Testament, the word flesh is a word that refers to our sin nature. And some people think this means that if that's the way you interpret that, then now I don't judge somebody based on their sinful past. That's not how I see them anymore. But that's not what this word flesh means here in this context. You say, how do you know that? Because the next phrase says, look at it. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, he just gave a flesh to Christ. Which means he's not talking about sin nature because he was sinless. The word flesh in this context is a word that refers to what's on the outside. It's talking about that which is merely external. Here's what Paul said. Based on what the gospel has done in my life, I now do not recognize anyone based on what they are on the outside. It's a gospel issue. When I'm studying to preach, I often read the same verses in different translations to kind of get a different idea of what they're saying. Listen to the way Charles Williams translates this phrase. So that from this moment on, I do not estimate anybody 
by the standard of outward appearance. Listen to this one by Eugene Peterson in the message. We don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. Why? Why don't we do that anymore? Here's why. The gospel. And here's what Paul said. Paul said, at first, I judged Jesus that way. And here's what Paul's saying. My racial prejudice almost caused me to miss Jesus. Let me read you what Ray Steadman says. I think it's powerful. Look at this pastor, his thoughts about this. Look what he said. Talking about Paul, he thought, Paul thought Jesus was a worthless rabble rouser, a tub-thumping street preacher from a dirty little town in Galilee, which no one expected anything good from. Because Jesus had no political standing, no family position, no training, and no education, Paul assumed he was worthless. Like Nathaniel in John chapter 1 when he said, Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Jesus was from the wrong side of the tracks. Jesus didn't look like what Paul thought he ought to look like. And Paul said, Because of that, I almost missed who he was. Look what it says. He tried his best, Paul did, to exterminate the religion that gathered about him because he regarded him as an imposter and a phony. But, he says, Paul says, no more. We learn to look at people differently. We now see Christ for who he was, the Lord of glory, the King of the ages, the Prince of life. God himself become a man. Paul said, hey, I used to judge people by the way they looked on the outside. And I did that to my own fault, and it almost cost me Jesus because I thought, now nah, he's not us. He don't have anything good to say. He's not educated. He comes from that part of town. He's a nobody. He's not worth anything. He don't have value. Paul said, now I know him. And because I know him and what I've experienced through him through the gospel, he said, not only do I not see Jesus that way, Paul said, I don't see anybody that way. The love of Christ has so radically changed me, Paul said. I don't see them as rich or poor. I don't see them as educated or uneducated. I don't see them as black or white. I don't see them or judge them by who they are on the outside. I see them for who they are on the inside. A human being made in the image of God whose life is precious and filled with purpose. Now, let me give you a biblical filter to wrap this in. Here's a biblical filter. As human beings, we are one race, the human race. Say amen. We're one race, the human race. Let me, let me try to illustrate for you how silly, honestly, how silly our classification by race is. I went online and found the 2010, which is the last one done in America, 2010 census of the United States population. Question number nine in the 2010 U.S. census. You can Google it for yourself. You can find it. Here's the question. What race or what is this person's race? That's the question. And they give you all these boxes you can check. Here are the boxes. Number one, white. Number two, black. Now, we kind of think we see where they're going, right? You got white, you got black. Let me listen to the rest of them. Here's number three, American Indian. 
Number four, Alaskan, print name of tribe. Number five, Asian Indian. Next, Chinese, Filipino, Japanese, Korean, Vietnamese, other Asian, Native Hawaiian, Guamanian, Samoan, Pacific Islander. Then the last one is some other race, fill in the blank. You see what this does? We don't even know what race is. They started out with two colors. And after two colors, they ran out of colors. They didn't know what to do. You got white, you got black. What's the third option? I don't know. Make something up, right? So, so they go from two colors to general regions where people come from. Well, then they kind of run out of general regions, so then they start going to nationality. They start mentioning nations, Chinese, Japanese, Filipino. They go to specific nations. So what's race? Is it color? Is it region? Is it the nation that you come from? Our own nation doesn't even know how to. I can simplify all of that. There's one race, the human race. Remember the little song we sang growing up? If you grew up in church, I grew up in church. They taught us this little song that said, uh, Jesus loves the little children. You remember that song? All the children of the world. Right? And that part of it's true. That's awesome. Then it goes what? Red and yellow, black and white. That's a lie. <laughs> the first half of that song is true. The second half of that song's a bold-faced lie. Let me prove it to you. They tell me I'm white. Now, this page is white, but I'm not white. You know what this means? We're all shades of brown. Now, granted, I'm a lighter shade of brown than some of my brothers and sisters in the room. But at the end of the day, we're all just shades of the same color. There's no white and black. We are shades of brown. Listen to what my friend David Platt said. Whatever color Adam and Eve and their children were, and let me just be honest, we don't know. So stop with the suave hair, the shampoo commercial looking images, all right? (laughs) Whatever color Adam and Eve and their children were, They contained in them a DNA designed by God that would eventually develop into a multicolored family across a multicultural world. We are one race, the human race. And now we only see people in two categories, and here they are. Every person in this room is either someone who is my brother or sister in Christ because the gospel has radically changed your life. Now we are a part of the family of God. Or my prayer is that before this day ends, you'll become that because the other category in this room are those who don't yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and my biblical responsibility is to love both groups. We are are one race, the human race, and everybody's either saved or they're lost. And we're saved by the gospel of Jesus Christ, not because of any value in what's externally represented on my body. I'm saved because of Jesus. And those that aren't saved, we're to love them so that they can come to know Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying that we are to be colorblind. God made us different by design 
Because God likes diversity. If you don't believe me, just go with me to the San Diego Zoo and look at all the animals. God likes diversity. And human beings are not animals. We're the crown point of God's creation. And He made us different by design. Unity is not uniformity. We are different colors from different cultures, but it's only when those cultures are woven together through the gospel that we get a full representation of the image of God in humanity. Here's what I believe. I believe God in His divine wisdom in every culture. The Bible says that we've been made in the image of God. I believe every culture has woven into the fabric of that culture an element of what it is to be the image of God. And it is only when through the gospel we see all of those cultures reconciled together that we get a complete picture of the image of God. Now, here's where it's awesome for us at Hope. We're getting a head start. Amen? We look a little bit like heaven's going to look like someday with 45 different languages and all these nationalities and cultures. But get this. Even we are just a glimpse of what is to come. Revelation chapter 5 says every tribe, every tongue, every people, and every nation will be born again together into the kingdom of God. One race, the human race, forever united through the blood of Christ. Derwin Gray. Derwin Gray wrote a book called The HD Leader. Look what he said. The gospel makes us color blessed, not color blind. The cross births a new multi-ethnic people who define themselves by the color of Jesus' blood, not the color of their skin. The cross births a new people who view themselves as equals because they are reconciled to Christ and to one another. Racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. But here's the last thing, and I'm done. Racial reconciliation is a gospel ministry. It's a gospel ministry. Two important phrases here in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. First one's in verse 18. He closes verse 18 by saying this, And gave us... The ministry of reconciliation. And then verse 19, he closes like this. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Did you hear it? God, in his infinite wisdom, has given to, say it out loud, us. Let's say it again. Us. That's important. We're going to talk about that here in a minute. He gave it to us. What? The ministry of reconciliation. Now, I understand, before you uh, get upset about this, I understand that the primary implication of this passage is reconciliation through the gospel of people to God. That is true. The ministry primarily, the overarching mission that we have been given as the church is to take the gospel to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation so that they can be reconciled to God. But here's what I am convinced of. Every time people get right with God, they get right with each other. You see, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling humanity back to God through the gospel. But the evidence that we get right with God is that we begin to get right with one another. And if you and I do not begin to see reconciliation in our relationships with one another, listen, there is no real evidence that there was genuine reconciliation with God. So racial reconciliation is a byproduct of our fundamental mission, which is reconciling people to be in right relationship with God. 
That's why Jesus said in John 13, 35, By this all men will know that you are my disciples. How? By your love for one another. He said, hey, you want me to tell you how they're going to know that you love me? Not by the way you love me. They're going to know you love me by the way that you love each other. And if you don't love each other, they're never going to know that you love me. Paul said in verse 16, because of the gospel, therefore we don't recognize anybody on the outside anymore. It's not the way we look at them. And that's why Paul said he gave us this ministry. Listen, the word gave in the Greek language is a word that means to put in somebody's hands. God, God didn't need us. But as the church, God in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty has chosen to place in our hands. It means to entrust God has entrusted us as the church with the ministry of reconciliation, reconciling people to God through the gospel, and then through the gospel, reconciling relationships with one another across racial, culture, class barriers. He's given it to us. Say that with me. Us. I want you to hear that word. Say it one more time. Us. Here's why I'm doing that. Here's what we do. We sit in our churches... Washington, D.C., that's the problem. They're the ones to blame. It's all these politicians. It's all this rhetoric, how they're dividing people. We just need some new politicians. We need a new Washington, D.C., and then this situation will get fixed. Listen, my Bible does not say that God gave the Ministry of Reconciliation to Washington, D.C., We sit in our churches and we say, oh, it's the educational system's fault. If the educational system would just do a better job of teaching our kids, then we could resolve this issue and move forward with a new history in America. My Bible does not say that God gave this ministry to the educational system in America. We sit and we blame the criminal justice system. We blame our politicians. Let me just say this as boldly and as clearly as I can say it. Donald Trump nor Hillary Clinton are the answer to this problem. It's not coming in riding on a donkey or an elephant. There is only one hope for reconciliation that will happen in America. The only hope for reconciliation in America is the gospel of Jesus Christ because only the gospel can change lives. You and I, listen, we cannot change culture. But what we can do through the gospel is we can change people and changed people change culture. We can't change culture through legislation or information or education or even elections. But the gospel can change people and change people change culture. But tragically, we're not doing that as the church. We're sitting on the sidelines. Derwin Gray said it this way in his book. Look at this. When the bride of Christ... His blood-bought, grace-covered, missional ambassadors of recreation, excuse me, reconciliation remains homogenous in Christian ghettos. We dishonor King Jesus and the unsearchable riches of his gospel. That's what's happened. We sit today in a nation where nine out of ten churches are going to be segregated by class or race. What is that? We've sat on the sidelines. 
We've not been agents of change and reconciliation in our culture. But here's what the Bible says. God put it in our hands. It's time we as the church begin to live this out. Well, how do we do this? How do we do this? Well, he said he's given us the ministry of reconciliation. But then he said he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. The word gave means to place in one's hands. The word committed means to place on the inside. He says he's placed within us the word of reconciliation. Who's the word? It's the Greek word logos. It's the word that's used in John chapter 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Who's he referring to? The person of Jesus Christ. Then he said in verse 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Here's what Paul is writing in 2 Corinthians. God has placed within us the word, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And as who I am in Christ becomes Christ in me. Then I become, what he says here in the last verse, I become an ambassador for Christ. What is an ambassador? An ambassador is someone from another king or kingdom visiting another king or kingdom but representing the king from which he came. You know what that means? This world is not our home. We are citizens of another kingdom, but he's put us here and desires to live his life through us so that he can represent the kingdom that is to come. What is that? It's the gospel of the kingdom. Every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Listen, I thank God for the life and legacy of Martin Luther King, Jr., But the message of racial reconciliation started with another king. And that is who we represent. You and I as brothers and sisters in Christ are to allow Christ in us to live through us. Demonstrating the power of the gospel. So you say, where do I start? Two words and I'm done. Two words. Where do I start? Here's the first word. Repentance. Repentance. Every one of us individually should get before the Lord and ask God. God, show me any area of prejudice in my life. You know what you'll find if you get honest? Almost all of us have some element of it in our lives. But it's only as we begin to get honest with God, let God show us, and then we do what? We repent. Don't cover it up. Don't excuse it. Don't justify it. Just call it what it is. Repent. Confess it. And here's what the Bible says. When we do that, we can embrace the forgiveness of God. So it starts in repentance. Here's the second word, relationships. I want to challenge you to establish and maintain relationships with people from other cultures. That means more than just sitting by them on Sunday and singing some songs. You know what's changed me more than anything around this issue? Relationships. I'm a white kid from Alabama. Alabama. I know my history. I don't come from a state of good history with this. God knit me together in his heart with a brother out here, and we lead this ministry together, Teddy Johnson, inner city Camden, New Jersey. God took a white kid from Alabama and a black kid from Camden, New Jersey, and put us right here. And you know what 11 years of being in a relationship with this guy's done? It's changed my life. It's changed my life. Because we've been able to, and he'll tell you, we do this. We, we ask each other sometimes some hard questions. Because, you know, some of these things you can't ask unless you've got enough relational equity to ask somebody that loves you anyway. Listen, 
Sometimes I ask some dumb questions, but I don't know any better. Sometimes he asks me some dumb questions, but he don't. We, we, we come from different cultures. And guess what we get to do? We get to learn together in relationship. We get to have conversations because you know what? It don't matter how he answers the question, how I answer the question. We're going to love each other anyway. Period. Don't matter. If we'll all develop and cultivate a spirit of repentance that says, God, I want you to expose all the ugliness of this in my life, and I want you to forgive me of it. And we'll be intentional to get into some deep relationships with people. Do life together. Listen, don't just come in here on Sunday to a multicultural church. Make sure your small group's multicultural. Be intentional about cultivating multicultural relationships so that we're going deep together and having these conversations. Why? Because racial reconciliation is a gospel issue. And racial reconciliation is a gospel ministry. Let's pray. Father, would you take your word today and would you change us? Lord, from the inside out, would you conform us to your image? Lord, may we be a church that celebrates the diversity that you've given us, but we do so in the context of the unity of the cross and the gospel. And Lord, may we be a church that demonstrates this in our society. May we live it out. May we be agents of change in our own culture when it comes to issues of race and racial reconciliation. God, would you do among us what only you can do? Lord, thank you for this fellowship. Thank you that we're able to have these conversations. In just a moment, we're going to sing a song of worship to close our service today. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, you've never experienced salvation. You're not a Christian, but you want to be. When we stand to sing in a moment, we got some pastors here at the front. You just slip out from your seat. Come to one of these pastors and say, I need Jesus. And we'll have somebody sit down with you and open a Bible and show you how you can experience the grace and forgiveness and love that's found in the gospel. For others of you today, maybe you want to come and, and pray with one of our pastors. Maybe there's something in your job, your health, your family, a relationship, a struggle, and you just want to pray with one of our pastors. We would be honored to pray with you and for you and over you today. You just come. We'll pray for you. Others of you, these altars are open. Maybe God's moved your heart about something and you need to go and just get along with God. Maybe there's somebody in this room from another culture. You need to go to them. Maybe there's been something that you've done that's been offensive and you need to go and just plead their forgiveness and embrace them. Whatever it is. In this moment, we're going to respond as the Lord speaks. God, have your way. Lord, would you move among us? We bless you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.